This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Okay, let me get this right. Etienne de la Boiti. Thank you for joining me in the trenches. Square. <laughs> Squared. Square. I get it wrong every time. Okay, give it to me again. So it's uh, depending on which Frenchman you ask, it's either Etienne de la Boissy or Boiti. Squared. I use the square to number one to note myself, you know, I'm not the original. Uh, and number two, and that's how you find me in the search engine. So if you don't, uh, you know, if you don't put the two at the end, you end up getting the, you know, the uh, 16th century French political philosopher whose uh, name I have taken for my nom de plume. Why did you do that? So the, the original Etienne de la Boissy was a French political philosopher he wrote in the 16th century, 1500s, and he was really the first to catalog the little tricks and techniques that rulers used, not just to get obedience, but to get fealty and adoration from the people. And so I'm doing, uh, with my book, Government, the Biggest Scam in History Exposed, I'm doing the exact same thing in the modern age, and I'm pulling back the, the curtain and, ex and in showing people the techniques and the tricks that rulers used, you know, not just to get obedience, but to get adoration and fealty, whether that trick or technique is, you know, forcing kids to go to the mandatory government school where they're slipped this... Uh, belief in government as a religion. It's not called a religion, but they're using all the tools and the techniques of a, an unethically manipulative religion or a cult. We're going to, you know, you're going to go to the church school where the teacher, the priest is going to use, uh, is going to uh, teach you the common prayer in the United States of the Pledge of Allegiance. And have you seen the hymns of the national anthem and the Star Spangled Banner? And you're going to learn about the presidents who are kind of the popes of the religion. And we're going to take you in middle school to Mecca, Washington, D.C., where you're going to go to the cathedral of the capital of the United States, which looks exactly like the Vatican for a reason. And you're, and everything is going to be, you know, giant and oversized. So you feel small and insignificant. And when you go to an, you know, court, the judge is going to wear vestments and he's going to sit up high and the kids are going to be taken mm. to the temples where they get to see the deities of Lincoln and Jefferson, giant statues of Lincoln and Jefferson, literally in Athenian temples, Athenian temples. And it's, you're just going to be, you know, indoctrinated into this religion. And then that religion is going to be reinforced by the media. And the subtitle is the book is, you know, how intergenerational organized crime runs the government, the media and academia. And that's one of the big secrets. It's the, it's the government and the media working together and the media is going to make the government the hero in movies and television shows, and it's going to product place the American flag at moments of high positive emotion. And if you don't know that they're running game on you, 
then you just, you know, come up immersed in this soup of propaganda and BS until, you know, somebody mm -hmm. had to explain it to me. And so then, you know, once I realized, oh, they're running game on me, then, you know, I abandoned these, these ideas. And, uh, and so that's what I'm trying to do to others is, is, you know, show people how the magician does the trick so they don't get fooled by the trick. You and I are chatting uh, because I read a book called The Most Dangerous Superstition by uh, Locke and Rose. Uh, we were obviously mm -hmm. chatting about anarchism. Um, now, you have written government, the, the biggest scam, it's essentially the same thing. So when we talk about anarchism, what are we talking about? So the, the word anarchy means uh, no rulers. It does not mean no rules. And uh, because the rulers don't want the population to know that there's an option on the menu called no rulers, because if it was between having rulers and no rulers, people may choose no rulers. Well, they've actually changed the definition of anarchy over time to mean chaos and dystopia and dogs and cats, you know, uh, fighting in the street and just, just, you know, craziness. But what I do in the book is I actually break down who owns the dictionary and how the dictionary has been changed over time by comparing the definition of the word anarchy from the 1827 Webster's Dictionary with the modern version from the Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary so that people can see that, that you know, they've literally changed the dictionary. And then I break down who owns the di dictionary, and it's the Safra Banking family. And uh, a former head of the Council on Foreign Relations sits on the editorial advisory board. And this is, you know, illustrative of how language can be used as a weapon against you, because if you control the words people must people use, then you control the people that must use the words, and so uh, so the word anarchy has been uh, has been denigrated by this monopoly media system, you know, with mm. with movies and television shows like The Purge, Anarchy, where if government went offline, even for like a single day, it would be just you know brutal in the streets, and what they've done is they've they've hid. The, the, the idea and the understanding that the world is really a self-organizing system that produces spontaneous order and every single thing the government does besides redistribution, you can't rob from Peter to pay Paul, but like the overwhelming amount of things that government does is provide services, whether that service is armed protective services that they call the police, whether that service is dispute resolution, which they call the courts, whether here in the United States, they deliver the mail, they run the national uh, railroad system called Amtrak, passenger railroad system here called Amtrak. Uh, they do air traffic control. All of these things that the government does and says, only I can do these things. Well, all of those things would be provided better, faster, cheaper by the free market, by uh, real charities, by nonprofits, by mutual aid societies, by you know, uh, you know, a variety of different organizations uh, without the extortion and the coercion of the government. And so because everybody wants to be safe and secure in their home, you're still going to have armed protective services, but it's going to be provided by companies like ADT or Garda that do it today, by the mm. way. And those companies would be forced to compete for your, you know, for your dollar 
based on how well they protect your neighborhood or how much restitution they deliver for their customers. Um, so, and they're, they're only going to have the same rights that you have. So they're not going to, you know, they're not going to be able to show up at your house and then arrest everybody if you're engaged in a poker game. And mm. so that happens a lot, believe it or not, here in the United States, uh, you know, people get arrested for poker games and for gambling and for, for, you know, smoking certain plants and for things that aren't really crimes for, you know, a crime has to have a, a perpetrator and a victim. And if there's not a victim, it's not really a crime, no matter even if the government writes it down on a fancy piece of paper. And so uh, people are, you know, are arrested by these, you know, state, these gunmen for the state that believe they have rights that other people don't. But in a voluntary world, and by the way, so so we were the the word voluntarism is kind of a rebrand of anarchy because they've mm. tarred the word anarchy and they've made, they've associated it with everything from violence to communism has absolutely nothing to do with any of those things. Uh, but it is. Uh, uh, but we now use the word voluntarist, voluntarism, or voluntarist. And a voluntarist is simply someone that believes that all relations between human beings must be voluntary. Nobody gets to use violence or extortion on anybody else, not even the government. The government doesn't get an exemption from morality. And that makes sense. That's logical. That uh, That's fair for everybody versus, you know, whether it's you call it a democracy or a constitutional republic or communism or socialism, all of the other isms, they all have a ruling class that has rights that mm. you don't and that gets to engage in extortion and coercion against you and force you to use their monopoly services. And so, so you know, the, the big secret that's been, you know, kind of kept from the population is that we don't need government. It has literally been the biggest scam in history. The world is this self-organizing system and that everything that everybody wants would be done better, faster, cheaper by the free market. And people would have an amazing amount more money to buy the education that they want versus the education you're forced to get in the government school system. They'd be able to buy the, you know, contract with the security company they want versus the oppressive monopoly police. And if that security company is rude to them, then they fire them and they hire a different security company. And mm. so that all makes sense. That's logical that, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's fair for everybody versus government is just a, is a, is a, a technique for robbing and controlling populations and tax farming them uh, by what I like to call in the book intergenerational organized crime that understands the you know the psychology of human beings and has been exploiting that to trick them into going along with something that is not in their interest. Okay, well let's go through one or two of the common, perhaps misunderstandings. Uh, you've already touched on the fact that anarchy. Uh, which is just a variation of anarchism um, has been tainted and people see it as just chaos. Obviously, it's not that. So then by extension, the argument is, well, if there is no government, how then is order uh, created and enforced? Uh, so as I, as I mentioned, the, the world produces something called spontaneous order. 
And if you've ever been to a supermarket, you've seen an example of spontaneous order in the sense that, you know, there's no, you know, central planning department in Washington, D.C. for supermarkets. Uh, a supermarket is, a, is an entity where, where buyers and sellers of goods come together and, you know, the supermarket, you know, uh, curates thousands of different products from dozens, if not hundred plus different countries, uh, you know, different growing seasons, growers, things, you know, to, to bring a wide assortment of, you know, goods and services together for the shopper, um, where, where everybody engaged in the process from the farmer to the distributors, to the warehousers, to the people that make the boxes, the people that make the jars, you know, all of that is being done voluntarily. Everybody is being paid for their contribution to the effort in a way that's, you know, kind of, you know, fair for all in a, in a kind of market-based system. And so that is, you know, that, 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 that's, that you're talking about coordinating the, you know, the activities of hundreds of thousands, if not millions and millions of people in like a super, you know, like a single supermarket, um, all done without any top down central planning. Uh, you know, an iPhone is another example. You've got companies that are making the, the Gorilla Glass. You've got companies that are making the software. You've got companies that are making the battery. You've got people that are, you know, you know mining different metals in different parts of the world. Everybody's doing it uh, without any central planning or control in a market-based system where nobody is forced to do business with anybody they don't want to do. And then, you know, that market dynamic tends to, you know, make people cooperate and get along. And, and it's, and it's the, you know, kind of the discipline of the market. And so whatever you want the government to do, you know, if you think about it as just a provider of, of, of goods and, you know, of services, then, you know, you can take a look at how those services are being provided in the, in the private market. Um, as an example, Canada privatized their air traffic control system, I think over a decade ago, and they're not, you know, planes, uh, you know, dropping out of the sky in Canada. Um, you know, we have Amtrak here in the United States. Um, and, you know, there, there's a, they call it a high speed train. It's called the Acela. Um, it's able to reach its maximum speed for, a, I think it's like a, I don't know, a 50 mile stretch on the eastern, on the, you know, up in the kind of the northeast. There's like one stretch hold where on. it can actually get up hold to on, its Etienne. top speed. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You Americans and your imperial system, what is 50 miles in, in, in everybody else's lingo? We're using the metric system. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know because I'm the victim of a bad government education. I am the victim of a bad government education. But it's, my, what, my, my it's just, hang on, it's just the US and what? I think Japan that uses imperial. I might have it wrong, but it's like very few countries use imperial still. I, I don't even think Japan uses it anymore. I think it's just <laughs> us. I could be wrong. I could be wrong about that. But like, it, it's, and again, so, so you wouldn't have that if it wasn't for a top-down, you know, mandated government thing, the, the market would, you know, individual schools would go, hey, wait a minute, everybody else in the world is using this. But because you have this top-down control from Washington, D.C. that sets the standards on accrediting schools and things like that, you get this 
one version fits all, you know, education system where, you know, um, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I speak, you know, one language barely and don't understand, you know, that, that you know, I mean, I, I got the basics, the metric system, but like, you know, it, it really, I, I honestly feel like I was, you know, kind of cheated out of a much better education that I would have had in any other system. I think, I mean, we'll get back to the serious stuff, but I think one of the most obvious uh, drawbacks of the governmental paradigm is war because i think the average the average individual just will not go to war to that kind of scale yeah you're you're absolutely right and so the you know i mentioned when we when we were kind of getting going some of the tricks Mm -hmm. how they how they slip the idea of statism to the population you know when they're children in these mandatory government schools uh, and so the other part of that, and that, that produces a taxpayer who's willing to tithe, uh, you know, a portion of his income semi-voluntarily to the government, you know, as the price of civilization and, uh, quote unquote. Um, but there's another track to that. And that other track in the United States is, is, is Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, there's an explore program. There's a program called JROTC. Uh, there, then that's in the high school uh, level uh, military. It's kind of you know pre-military. It's military training for high school kids, and then in college it becomes something called ROTC, Reserve Officers Training Corps. And then they you know they're teaching. They're they're paying for college educations for kids to get them into the military system. But in these in these programs, whether it's the Cub Scouts, the Boy Scouts, Explorers, or JROTC, it's another layer of unethically manipulative techniques that that ultimately produce something called an order follower. And an order follower is someone who's willing to set his morality aside and go abroad and kill whoever he's told because he's been put through this you know, program of, you know, we're going to shave your head. We're going to put you into the uniform, the single form, you know, kind of conformity. We're going to segment you away from the rest of society into, you know, you know, uh, uh, army bases and we're going to, you know, you'll shop in your own commissaries and you won't, you know, it'll, it'll, it pretty soon, like you, you won't think of the world in any other way because we're now giving you a new identity and we're going to compact you into this group dynamic where it becomes painful to leave and it becomes your life. And once you put people through the Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, Explorer program, JROTC, ROTC, military, and then sometimes police training. And so the other half of it, half of it is, you know, you go abroad and you, and you, you know, kill whoever you're told and, and these wars of, you know, uh, foreign aggression. But on the on the domestic side, you know, it's the police, uh, it's the police forces, and the police forces are willing to use violence on overwhelmingly peaceful people uh, to enforce the commandments of this uh, unethically manipulative, you know, indoctrinated religion of statism. And they never ever question that, like you can't reason with them once they've been put through all this training. So you can't say, hey. You know, there's not a victim in this crime. You know, like gambling's not like us having a poker game is not really a crime. 
you know, nobody's, you know, hurting anybody else. We're, we're all here voluntarily. I understand that I'm risking this 50 bucks tonight. Nobody's forcing me to do it. There's not a crime being, you know, perpetrated. But you, but you, officer, you're willing to use violence and you're about, you're going to kidnap me. Okay. You're going to engage in a, in a kidnapping and then you're going to put me into a cell and you're going to extort money from me to pay the fine for something that's not really a crime. Who's the real criminal here? You're unable to have that conversation with them because boom, 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 they've been put through Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, Explorers, JROTC, ROTC, military training and police training a lot of times. And by the time that you go through that and you're, you know, and they run these unethically manipulative techniques on you, you're no longer able to think for yourself. You're compacted into a group think where it doesn't even make any sense. It's not logical. It's not moral. Uh, but you can't argue with uh, with a person in a uniform because they've got an indoctrinated belief system that's been manipulated into them. Which is why Locke and Rose refers to it as a superstition. It is. It is a. I, it's a religion. You know, he. I've heard him. You know, jokingly say that he used to think about it that it was a religion until he realized no, it really, it really is a religion, because they're using the exact same techniques on the population that an unethically manipulative religion or, uh, you know, would use on their, you know, on their followers. Uh, it's a playbook. And I, you know, I break down the playbook in government, the biggest scam in history, but like, we're, we're going to put you in a, you know, mandatory government school check. We're going to put you into a youth program check where the youth program is ultimately going to, you know, become a militarized youth program check. And it's the exact same playbook that the Nazis used. It's the exact same playbook that the East Germans used. It's the exact same playbook that the Soviets used. And, and in the book, I actually, in, you know, pictorially break down the playbook and then show what it looked like in Nazi Germany, the Soviet Union, and East Germany so that, that the reader can, can see, like, oh, my God wait a minute, why is the United States running the exact same playbook as Nazi Germany? I thought we were the good guys. And so the, you know, it, it's not until you really, you know, understand and like, like step back and evaluate it, you know, as an adult, you know, and say, hey, wait a minute, that like, I didn't realize they were running game on me. I didn't realize they were tricking me until I you know, until I, I, I saw the playbook kind of laid out in front of me and realized it's the exact same, you know, techniques that produced the Nazis. It is verbatim like the, the same techniques that, that make a, you know, a Soviet goose step or, you know, produce the Nazis. You know, it is it. In, in Nazi Germany, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the Boy Scouts in, uh, in the United States. It's the Hitler Youth. In, uh, in in Nazi Germany, and it's the young pioneers and the Komsomol in the Soviet Union, but it's the exact same program. Let's go back to basics. Um, when we talk about government, what do we mean? Because let me let me preface that by saying, I might live in a housing estate, and there is a small group who perhaps manage the affairs of the estate. Mm -hmm. Is that government, technically speaking? No, that's governance. And so the, so the, so that's a great, that's a great, you know, question because 
in, in a, a housing estate here, uh, we, um, we call them homeowner, homeowner associations. And the homeowner association has uh, delegated responsibility. And when you move into that estate or you move into that, that, that uh, you, know, um, you know, community, you accept certain rules voluntarily before you move in. You say, I'm not going to have 10 cars in my yard because if I have 10 cars parked in my front yard, it's going to lower the, you know, the property value of my neighbor's, you know, property. So we're all going to agree that we're not going to have cars parked in our front yards. And we're all going to agree that, you know, to certain, you know, covenants and things like that. And so you're, you're, you know, you've got the, you've got rules that make sense for everybody, but you're not forced into it. If you don't want that, if you want to have 10 cars in your yard, well, you can go outside of the, you know, you can go find another piece of property, you know, that doesn't have the same, uh, you know, covenants binding you and you can have 10 cars in your, in your yard. So you're not forced into it the way you're forced into government. Now, government is the idea that a, that a, that a group, whether that group is a monarch that was, you know, because of the divine right of kings gets to rule, or it's a, you know, even if you say it's a democracy where people get to vote to have a ruler, the ruler now has rights that other people don't have and gets to use violence and extortion on everybody else in this geographic area. And what, what voluntarists and anarchists would argue is that that is always illegitimate because it's impossible to delegate rights that you don't have yourself to a representative or to a government to exercise something that you don't have the ability to yourself. So if I don't have the ability myself to come over to Germ's house and say, hey, Germ, I got this great idea for this retirement program. You're going to give me 13% of your money and I'm going to invest it for you or do something with it. But like, I'm going to give it back to you later on in life. And, and you're like, well, I don't think that's a good idea. And I'm like, well, Jerem, see, everybody has to participate. And so I take out a gun and I, you know, shake you down for, well, that wouldn't be right for me to do. So there's no way if it, if it, if it's, if it would be immoral and illegitimate for me to do it, there's no way I can delegate that right to a government to do something on my behalf that I don't have the ability to do. If my girlfriend and myself can't come over to Germ's house and there's two of us and one of you and, and we both vote that you have to give us all your money because there's two of us and one of you and majority rules, well, it doesn't matter if there's three of us or you know 10 of us or 250 million of us, there's no magical additional person that makes something that's inherently immoral and inherently illogical now moral and logical just because some people are, you know, tricked into participating. And, you know, in the United States, we've got the Constitution, which I like to call the Constitution. And the idea <laughs> is uh, and, and literally like so. So when you when you when you take a look at it as an adult, you know, the idea that three dozen or so lawyers, politicians, and slave owners went into a room hundreds of years ago on a continent of three million people, go into a room and write down on a piece of paper that they alone get to make up rules for everybody and steal the wealth of others. Well, I mean, that just sounds ridiculous because it is unless you're they slide it to you in this unethically manipulative program in a mandatory government school 
in a program designed to tax farm you for half your income, which is what they've essentially done. But I, if you actually examine it as an adult from a standpoint of logic and morality, the whole thing doesn't, you know, doesn't make any sense. You cannot be bound by a contract that you did not sign yourself. Democracy is two wolves and a sheep deciding what's for dinner. So it doesn't make any sense. So the only thing that is fair for everybody is voluntarism. And luckily, luckily, uh, the world is a self-organizing system and it, and everything the government does would be done better, faster, cheaper if the crooked government middleman would just get out of the way. Now, it's not, I'm not saying there wouldn't be a transition period, okay, because instead of letting the, you know, the government, the, the world, you know, grow up organically and naturally and letting these companies you know, that to provide armed protective services, develop using, you know, market forces and the free market and things like that. You know, this this system was imposed on these populations to be able to tax farm them and rob them and control them. And so when that system fails and falls apart, as it's doing right now, there is going to be transition costs and there's going to be, you know, uh, there's going to be some pain um, I, you know, like, like I, I hate to tell people, but here in the United States, they've stolen everything in the social security trust fund. They've like, you know, they've, they've, they've robbed the population of the United States and they've taken the money out of what we call the social security trust fund or lockbox. And they've handed it to military industrial complex companies for weapon systems that we don't need to fight wars based on lies and manufactured intelligence. And they've been, I mean, it's been a scam. Okay. Uh, and so a lot of people aren't going to get their retirement. That doesn't mean that we go back to government and, and government's promises to fix it, whatever. It's understanding that, hey, I had to break it to you, a uh, population that didn't understand what was going on and wasn't paying attention and was paying more attention to, you know, football or soccer or whatever it was. But like you've been robbed. Uh, they've taken your money and they've stolen it. These are the people involved. They're in Washington, D.C. or Johannesburg or, you know, Moscow or Paris or, you know, you name the capital, you know, wherever you are in the world. But they've been running game on you. They've been tax farming you. And now that everybody's wised up to how the system works and now it's falling apart, it's not the fault of the free market. It's because those people ripped you off. And we don't need to go back to the system that ripped us off. We need to, we need to now develop new systems based on voluntary association where nobody has rights that other people don't. It's fair for everybody. And, you know, some people will go and they'll build communities based on that. And those communities are going to flourish and thrive and people are going to go there. And then people are, there are going to be some communities that try and go back to government and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be it's slavery all over again. Um, I think one of the one of the difficulties that Joe Soap has when it comes to this kind of conversation is that there seems to be this this natural desire to be led. You know, if yeah. there isn't a government, if we don't have leaders, everything everything will fall apart. Uh, Etienne, who's going to build the roads? So, so first of all, you can have leaders without government. Okay. You can have governance without government. Okay. You can have the, you know, you can have homeowners associations that, you know, that are going to, you know, 
band together and protect the community and have some kind of armed protective services. And, and, and the homeowners association is going to build the road. And because the homeowners association is going to do it, they're going to watch every single nickel and they're going to make sure that that road lasts as long as possible. So they don't have to go back to everybody and hit them up for money again and things like that. Um, uh, if, if, a, if, a, if, if a housing development, you know, if a, if a housing developer builds, you know, a housing development, he's going to build the roads. If, uh, if um, Sprouts Organic Market, which is a grocery store, you know, chain here in the United States, if Sprouts wants to build a new store, they have to build the road to the store. Okay. If, um, Company A wants to build a new factory. They're going to have to build the road to their factory. Now that makes sense. That like you're not you're, we're not going to charge somebody in Wyoming for a road that is being built in Texas. We're not going to make the people in this state pay for something that is used by people in this state. Um, and because the homeowner association is 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 building is paying their own money for it. They're going to make sure that it's, you know, done the right way. It lasts as long as possible. There's, not, there's going to be way less chance of waste, fraud and abuse and theft in the, in the process. And so uh, so that works. Um, uh, now, again, there's going to be transitions as OK, as the system devolves. Well, who owns the road? Who owns the existing roads? How will be th those be maintained? Um, I don't have all the answers and I'm not, pro the, the other thing is I'm not promising utopia. Okay. Government, people that promise government, they promise utopia. If we just give politicians more power and authority and money, then they're going to fix all these things. I'm saying, no, I think that the people are going to fix all the things. I don't know what that, I, I can't, you know, I would be lying to you if I told you what that future looked like. All I know is that the market, has a history of delivering better outcomes than uh, than monopoly governments do, and uh, and so that dynamic of you know the free market of people being able to vote every single day with their own money for what they want, that dynamic is going to be produce better outcomes than than politicians in a far off capital. I've got Hans Hermann Hoppe's book, Democracy, The God That Failed. Um, and in it, he, he sort of makes an argument. Well, he makes an argument against democracy. And then he sort of makes an argument for monarchy and then more in favor of natural order. And the reason for that is because he argues that, um, and Ludwig von Mises also argued the same thing, that a monarchy essentially is a private government as opposed to democracy, which is a public government. Could there be space for private governments? Because it, 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 in a way, it is voluntary. So there, there are already, you know, private governments. I'd say the, the, the best, you know, first, first of all, there's, there's, there's places that have kicked out the government. So there's a, uh, a town in Mexico called Sharon, they kicked out both the drug cartels and the government over a decade ago, and they're operating fine without, you know, without, without government. Now they have governance. There's town, they've got town council and, and things like that, but it's not in the, you know, the kind of top down hierarchical, uh, you know, taking orders from Mexico city, you know, government that is, you know, uh, common in throughout Mexico. 
Um, there is a, there is a, 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 uh, a private city is developing on the island of Roratan off the coast of Honduras, where the Free and Private Cities Foundation has essentially gone to the government of Honduras and said, hey, you know, you guys have a special economic zone here. I interviewed him. Uh, did you? Yes. I know about yeah, that. Yeah, yes. I, so, they, so, so hold on you're the first person that i've ever spoken to who knows about that uh yeah yeah it's 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 absolutely I, I can't believe more people don't know about it but they've <laughs> gone and they have negotiated their own sovereignty with the with the government of honduras to say hey we want to we want to be able to offer government as a service and we want a, like a pre-negotiated service where where we're going to have the minimum of regulations. We're going to have you know strict property rights. There's going to be taxation, but you know ahead of time that it's going to be as you know as just enough to protect life, liberty, and property. And so so and then we're going to say we're going to make an offering to the world that says, hey. If you come and you locate your business here or you move here, whatever, you know exactly what you're getting into. And what you're getting into is the least amount of government anywhere on the planet. And that and that is and it's predefined. There's no gotchas. It can't really change, you know, unless the government of Honduras was to, you know, renege on their their portion. But it's a pre-negotiated as low as it gets government. And companies are moving there and they've got hundreds, you know, I think like hundreds of millions of dollars invested, you know, in the in the project and uh, and it's off to the races. And then there's another there's a number of other, you know, um, uh, other people that are either trying to start that same concept in other places or in the case of the Free State Project in New Hampshire, which is a a state in the United States of 1.3 million people, people are moving there. They're, they've already had uh, almost 6,500 people move there in the past kind of 20 years, uh, and they're rolling back government, and they're organizing politically. They're getting free state project members elected into the House of Representatives, and they're voting to roll back laws with the goal of, 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 of having the smallest government possible to just protect life, liberty, and property. And then ultimately, I think they're going to secede from the United States. But that dynamic is, is getting people's attention. And people are, are moving there from, all, from not just other parts of the United States. They're moving there from all over the world. I had, you know, I had one couple that, uh, that heard me on a podcast. They moved from Paris uh, three years ago after you know, hearing me talk about the Free State Project. And they arrived right before the COVID lockdowns. And I went and I, you know, I wanted to check back with them to make sure everything they're like. I'm like, oh, my God, thank you so much for turning us on to this. If we had been in Paris during the COVID lockdowns, we would have been subjected to all that tyranny. But here in New Hampshire, we were with this community that wasn't going along with it and, you know, wasn't tricked by it. And we had community and friends. and We felt way safer than we would have felt had we, you know, had we been in Paris. And so people are moving there from around the world to try and engineer, uh, you know, uh, a community without government, without having to be afraid of the order followers that some shave-headed cult member, 
with a gun is going to show up and arrest you for something that's not really a crime or, you know, rob you or whatever it is. Um, when they show and it, it's not that there, there, there are, you know, still police officers in New Hampshire. There are. But when they show up, uh, they get made fun of. They get laughed at to a certain degree to the point of where they almost don't want to, you know, interact. There's a there's a video uh, uh, showing what happened when the tax man showed up at a free state project, uh, you know, festival called the Porcupine Freedom Festival that you can see online. I think it's like tax man shows up at Porcupine Freedom Festival, you know, and they ran that guy like he showed up to try and collect taxes from the vendors that were selling you know, food and beverage to the crowd. And they literally like a crowd surrounded him and they ran him off the property. And so that's, we're, we're now like, you know, government only works until the, until you get enough of the population that realizes that it's a scam, it's organized crime, and we don't really owe you any money and get out of here, little tax man, get out, get out, get out. And like that dynamic is starting to happen in New Hampshire. Yeah, I mean that's for me one of the one of the the selling points, uh, right off the bat, because tax is not voluntary. If you don't give away your hard-earned money, you will get arrested, and that is, in my view, completely immoral. And I don't care what anybody says that oh, it's for this, it's for, it's for this social contract or it's for this infrastructure. No, no, no. I must give my permission and. If my property has been taken from me, that's theft. Yeah. Yeah. The, the entire government system is based on theft and it's reinforced again by controlling the information that you receive. So they're running game on you by controlling the information you receive. They can, you know, in the United States, it's the, through the mandatory government school system. And then it's reinforced. So it's the media and the government working together here. You know, I like I know we, you've got a global audience but it's the same in every single country. It's the government and the media working together so that it, on every single channel that you see, oh, it's legitimate that the government gets to rule you. The government's legitimate. The elections aren't rigged. The, you know, the system isn't rigged against you. It's not organized crime. And so once you realize that they're running game on you and controlling the information you receive to make you believe that there's nobody else, that everybody goes along with it, no, everybody's against it. And it's like little subtle things like, you know, uh, you know, the courtroom dramas show you how to how people are supposed to behave in court versus having somebody like me go, hey, wait a minute, no, this whole court is illegitimate. Like you never ever, like when's the last time you saw somebody on a courtroom drama pointing out the illegitimacy of the entire thing. And that is a soft form of mind control uh, using the media to give people a fake reality of what it's really like out there until they discover that there are, until they actually go in a courtroom and they find, they run into people. And I've, I've done it because I've been the guy in the courtroom going, this whole thing is illegitimate. You know, you don't have the ability to take my money. This is extortion. You're running game on this on this population. Uh, that happens all the time in court, but you're never going to see it on the television. Yeah, the problem though is that it seems to be a battle that you can't win. I mean, Larkin Rose, who we have referenced, was arrested for for precisely that. He refused to let his property be taken by the state. Mm -hmm and he ended up in jail 
Yeah, they they do uh, they do arrest some people, um, uh, but at the same time, there's somewhere north of sixty million people in the United States that aren't paying taxes. There's there's sixty million plus non payers, non filers. It's a tremendous, enormous number of people that aren't paying their taxes here in the United States, uh, and so uh, more and more people are opting out of the system. They're joining. Um, uh, the American Assemblies, which is a kind of a natural law-based, uh, you know, alternative government, they're you know they're they're not they're not putting um, license plates on their cars, they're not registering driver's licenses, and so so that you know like you can only hold the population down until they realize that it's Ill, like what you're doing is illegitimate. And so now more and more people, there's an information revolution. You know, now there's a self-directed internet where people are discovering authentic voices instead of this media. They're getting outside of that controlled media system to find the authentic voices on the self-directed internet. Uh, and so more, it's, it's just impossible to keep this knowledge from the people forever, they're going to find out government is illegitimate and they're going to be ticked and they're going to be pissed and they're going to come for these politicians and these media puppets. And they're, you know, rightfully so, but like, like, you know, it's, it's holding a, you know, a, a beach ball underwater. You can only hold the beach ball underwater for so long until it like pops out. And that's where we are right now. I think the COVID accelerated that because people realized that they were being tricked and the government and the media were in on it together and it was, you know, and it was a scam. And so, uh, so, you know, I, I take, I'm, I'm very, very optimistic because I, I run into people all across the country that understand to some degree what's going on, maybe not as you know well as you and me and Larkin Rose do, but like, uh, more and more people are realizing that the government has been the biggest scam in history. And that's really what I'm trying to do with the book is like make it simple and easy to read, you know, kind of picture book that takes you through the basics of how the scam works, because it's a revolution that's only going in one direction. Like once you realize like there's kind of two pillars that have to fall. One of the pillars is you, you, once you realize, hey, wait a minute, there is no way of having a legitimate government. If me and Germ are on a desert island with, you know, 10 of our friends, uh, there's no way for, uh, you know, me and Germ to get, you know, four other people. And now there's six of us. And now we vote. And now these four people do all the work and we sit back and drink coconuts you know, the only thing that makes sense is to voluntarily organize ourselves and say, and so there's like, there's still leaders, right? And so, you know, Germ, you might be better at, you know, growing crops. So you're, you know, you would take the lead on, you know, on how do we do this? I might be better at building, you know, shelter. And so I may take the lead on that, but I'm not, I don't have the ability to make, you know, to say, hey, now you guys got to do it now. If you don't want to do it, then you may not have shelter, but like, I, I'm, I know how to build stuff. Let's go over here and I'll show y'all how we can begin building shelter. You know, like that, that's moral, that's logical. That's going to produce a better outcome uh, than me going, Hey, germ, you're going to build the shelter 
and this guy's going to do this and he might be a better builder and you might be better at crops and it, you know, and like, so the top down thing doesn't work, but you can have self-organizing voluntary relationships that can still get the job done without government. And that's the way that it has to be because that's moral, that's logical, that makes sense. And that's fair for everybody. Okay. But let's expand your, your example some people will no doubt say sure but you're going to end up with lord of the flies um i don't think you have like that was a book about children being on an island and so like with 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 adults um it could it's it's possible that one person could say hey you know, I'm the biggest, baddest person here and you're all going to do what I say or I will kill you all. Okay. And, and, you know, maybe, you know, like that, there's a small possibility that that, you know, that outcome may happen, but the chances are that nine out of the other 10 people would be able to overpower that person and, 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 and deal with that particular threat. But if that happens, that's what government is. And that's how government started, by the way. So monarchy was the original government and it was, I'm the biggest, baddest person here and everybody's going to do what I say, or we're going to begin hurting people. And then when that fa fell out of favor, okay, monarchy didn't go away. Uh, my thesis, you know, is monarchy didn't go away. Monarchy just came up with democracy to trick the people into thinking that they're in control but with, you know, because it's organized crime, because it's people willing to use violence and extortion and cheat, well, we're always going to rig the elections. We got more money than anybody else. We're going to be able to, you know, get our people elected into power. We've got a disparity of income to be able to fund the people that we want. If, the, if people that we don't want get into power, we'll blackmail them, we'll, you know, bribe them, we'll do whatever. If we can't do that, we'll kill them. And that's essentially the system that we have today. Um, and so, uh, so democracy uh, doesn't really deliver the goods and it's easily manipulated by moneyed interests. It's easily <laughs> manipulated by, it's a horrible way to decide anything. It's a horrible way to organize society and nobody would think it was a good idea if it wasn't slipped to them as they're a child, when they're a child, before they're old enough to really evaluate the logic and the morality and the utility of the idea itself. <laughs> I was laughing now because I, I often jokingly refer to myself as an anarchist monarchist. In other words, you don't speak for me and my kingdom. <laughs> right right <laughs> because i i i like the idea of a hierarchy it seems to be a type of natural order let me let me be serious for a second a family structure is a hierarchy not so um yes. it and by extension as that family gets bigger so you'll have maybe a gardener and somebody working in the house, etc. That hierarchy gets, uh, it, it gets, it gets broader, and you might end up with a farm with farm workers and a house worker and a gardener and all sorts of things. And that seems to be almost like a type of monarchy, but it's natural and it doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to conflict. 
with what you're talking about or, or have I got it wrong? No, you nailed it completely. So there's still like there's there's still going to be an order, but that order is going to develop voluntarily. Uh, some people are leaders and some people need to be led. And so the guy that, you know, that manages the farm and owns the farm, he may be, you know, that may be his specialty in life. The guy that works on the farm may have no leadership capabilities. He may have no interest in being a leader of the farm and having that responsibility of the farm. He just wants to have a nine to five job. And so he's, he's, you know, he's a worker and this guy is the entrepreneur and that is, that's natural. That's, you know, that's kind of the way that the, the world is, but it's all voluntary. And so if that worker doesn't like the way the farm is being managed or he's being led or he's being treated, then he can go and he can work for somewhere else or he can start his own farm. He, you know, he can go to, uh, you know, if he's a really good farm worker and he's, you know, got a, like a track record of success in managing, you know, aspects of this farming operation, and he's got he's well known in the community. Maybe he goes to another, you know, farm owner and says, hey, I, you know, I'm not happy here. Would you, you know, if you would invest in me getting a piece of land, I'll 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 do all the work and you can, you know, and then he can build up an ownership stake uh, because he's proven himself to be co a competent, you know, you know, uh, worker manager. And so there's a way, you know, forward. Now, the other thing that I forgot to mention about this voluntary system is, uh, is that it produces the goods. So one of the things that we know, like absolutely in economics, is the more economic freedom you have and the more personal freedom. So all the different countries of the world are ranked on a regular basis by a couple of think tanks in Washington, D.C. One of them's the Cato Institute, one of them's the Fraser Institute in Canada. Heritage they take a also. Look at Heritage has a ranking as well, and they, mm. they evaluate all of these different uh, countries based on the degree of, of individual freedom and, uh, and economic freedom that they have. They take a look at the tax policy, the tax rates, and, and the less, the more economic freedom you have and the more personal freedom you have, the more wealth and prosperity that you have as a society, as each of those societies. And so the so the the less economic regulation, the less tax rate, the more economic prosperity you have, and so that that produces the goods. If it wasn't for the government stealing the value out of everybody's money in this crooked monetary system, where where they're allowing banks to create money out of thin air using a technique called fractional reserve banking, even though it's inflationary and even though it's stealing the value out of everybody else's money. If it wasn't for that system, we'd all be fabulously wealthy. We'd, we'd have more than enough surplus to take care of the poor, the needy, and the disadvantaged. Um, but they don't want, but the governments of the world don't want you to be economically prosperous. They don't want you to be economically secure because they can't manage you effectively using fear if you're uh, safe and secure and well capitalized. And so that's the reason why they're constantly keeping people in this artificial poverty of high inflation, of, you know, of, of you know, not a lot of economic activity compared to what there would, would, would be, you know, absent monopoly privileges and rules and regulations and capital gains tax and confiscatory taxation and all these other things that keep us all artificially poor. 
If those things went away, the economy would thrive and then businesses would have to compete for workers by paying them more money. And so that's the way that people get rich and wealthy is that there's a lot of economic activity. Businesses are booming. They're doing well. They're having profits, but they're also having to compete for workers and that bids up wages. And then that, that, that puts real money in people's pocket. Just imagine, you know, how wealthy you would be, uh, you know, absent this crooked monetary system, you're, whether you're, you know, whether it's the dollar or whether it's the Swiss, you know, uh, mark or whether it's the Japanese yen, they're all losing value in a kind of like, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, coordinated system between these central banks when absent the crooked monetary system, the dollar or the yen or the Deutschmark or the franc, they should all be buying more and more every year. You should be your dollar should be gaining purchasing power as productivity improvements and innovations reduce the costs of producing and distributing the the, uh, the luxuries and necessities of life. Your imagine how wealthy we would be if number one the government wasn't stealing half your money and number two if your money was buying more and more and more every year. That's what we're being robbed of. That's the, the economic cost of government. That's the poverty of government. You mentioned uh, those uh, freedom indexes, and I think Hong Kong um, in, in those particular indexes always does quite well. And what's interesting there um, is that Hong Kong is also a city-state um, as mm -hmm. opposed to a nation-state. So it, it, it's a lot smaller geographically and population-wise. Um, and that also seems to correlate quite positively with you're talking about the free private city project which also has a sort of hanseatic feel about it uh which was was some attempt at least to get away from the the governmental structure of the time so with with hong kong it's actually it's a fascinating story so it was a british protectorate and it had a british governor and i want to say his name was gold weight there's a great uh, article on the Foundation for uh, uh, Foundation for uh, Economic Education's website, FEE, uh, where they tell the story of why Hong Kong prospered. And it is essentially because it was a monarchy of some sort. The British governor was a, was a free market, uh, free market British governor, and he would say no to every regulation, every welfare scheme and every thing. They would just bring it to him and he'd say no, 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 no. And so because he let he had a laissez faire uh, policy for Hong Kong for decades and decades under his governorship, um, that is one of the reasons why that Hong Kong, you know, prospered was because he made sure there were no barriers to economic innovation to, you know, to, you know, no, nobody, no businesses had monopoly privileges, no businesses had, you know, it was, it was laissez-faire free market capitalism. And that took Hong Kong from being a backwater to being one of the most, you know, prosperous cities in the world that has a tremendous standard of living for the average citizen compared to other places that have little or no, you know, uh, you know, economic advantages. Hong Kong has nothing. Hong Kong has a, a really nice deep water port. 
but they don't have any minerals. They don't have any gold. They don't have any diamonds. They don't have any, you know, copper. They don't have any, you know, farmland. They're, they're not the breadbasket of Europe. They're not the breadbasket of America. They're not like, they don't have anything that would be a competitive advantage. The only thing they had was little to no economic regulation on them, which allowed the, which allowed the merchant class and the, and the society to flourish. And, you know, now that's in danger of being taken over by the Chinese. I mean, it has been taken over by Chinese, but they've kind of kept their hands off of it. But I have no doubt they'll end up strangling the goose that lays the golden eggs. But, uh, but that's the reason for Hong Kong's success is the free market. Um, an interesting addition to your story, uh, a lot of people don't know, is Botswana. Um, I think it was in the 1960s when Saretsa Kama took over, who, in my opinion, is one of the greatest African leaders of all time. And he was a free market uh, type, type individual. And Botswana went from the worst performing country in the world to, I think, I forget what year it was in, in the 60s, to the, to the fastest performing, fastest growing country in the world. They, uh, and because what he essentially did was handed it over to the private sector. And it grew phenomenally quickly, at least in a short space of time. But while I'm on that, one of the questions that always comes up in this kind of conversation is, okay, well, where are the historical examples of, of anarchist societies throughout history? They don't seem to be there. Is, and what's the reason for that? Uh, so there are some, and that's going to be one of the topics of my next book, which will be called Voluntarism. How the only, uh, sorry, my I'm, I'm in the middle of uh, my second book. It'll be my third book that's that's coming soon. I'm actually 60% done with it. But uh, uh, there are examples of s civilizations from Ireland to the Vikings to uh, to the United States, which had very little, you know, kind of, you know, uh, central top-down government in the in the early, you know, parts of the of the country, and had a, a hard money system that allowed it to flourish. So we didn't have central banking and didn't have fiat, you know, based currencies, and that helped the you know the economy thrive. Uh, but there are examples. But why don't you see them today? Because the the organized crime system that is running government, okay, on the population has little or no incentive to have a free market system thrive right next to it where people will go oh, and begin voting with their feet and run over there. And so they've, you know, they've taken down you know, uh, anything, you know, like, like where, you know, they, 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 they took down Gaddafi just because he was, you know, uh, returning a good portion of the country's wealth actually to the people and kind of setting a bad example of what a, like a, you know, a good monarch could be. And like, so, you know, they'll, 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 they'll assassinate you. They'll kill you. I mean, we're, we're talking about an intergenerational murder incorporated, you know, organized crime system that just doesn't have any interest in seeing, uh, you know, a, uh, a competing system based on freedom and private property rights and individual rights thrive and prosper. And a uh, an example of that is uh, Lieberland, 
which is which sits uh, on uh, in a kind of in the middle of a river between Croatia and Serbia, and it was this weird little you know patch of land that 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 neither Croatia nor Serbia would 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 claim uh, credit for because they were in a border dispute, and essentially if Serbia said that's my piece of land, then they would have acknowledged a border that they didn't want to. And if Croatians said that's, that was my piece of land, they would have acknowledged a border. So it sat and developed until somebody went and said, hey, uh, it's our piece of land and we're going to have a free country here and we're going to have no tax, you know, little to no taxes. We're going to have the littlest government everywhere and we're, we're going to, we're, we're going to develop this as the you know, as, as, a, as our own country. And then they did everything that you're supposed to do with respect to the Treaty of Montenegro to establish yourself as a country. And they began, they, they, they began, you know, settling, trying to settle that piece of land. And Croatia would send their armed gunmen and thugs out to stop anybody going there because they don't have an interest in having, you know, uh, a, 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 a free private city on its border when they've got an effective tax rate of like 70% on their population. So they're, that's not in their interest to, to have little bitty Lieberland flourish with, you know, no taxes, no, you know, very little economic regulation when they're, you know, tax farming their population for 70%. And so uh, I think that's one of the reasons why you've seen, uh, why you haven't seen Voluntarist communities thrive the way they should. I think ancient Iceland is an example of of uh, a, a society that handled a few centuries without any government. Uh, and just for the record, when we talk about government, then uh, I, I just want to cite your own words to make sure that we got this correct. Essentially, there's no way of opting out. Correct. It's 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 somebody. It's a it's a group of people that 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 claim a monopoly on violence over a, a geographic area. So they're saying, mm. "Hey, we have a we control things in this geographic area. You have to do uh, what we say." Whether they claim that they got the power through fake elections or monarchy or whatever, you know, whatever you know the the. the you know, whatever it is, they they claim to have a monopoly on violence over a given ge- geographic area. That's government. You can have governance without government, but that's the definition of government. You cannot opt out mm. if you in, of the system. Yeah, uh, sorry, I was just mentioning ancient Iceland. I, I might have my history a bit wrong, but I think I think there was a phase where that region had no central government. Um, it was eventually, if memory serves, it was taken over by uh the neighbor the neighbors that had you know much more powerful military and i think they they didn't expect that you can correct me if i'm wrong um and but i think a more recent example might be somalia now here's the thing about somalia i think it was in the early 90s or late 80s where the government completely collapsed and mm. everybody sees somalia as a shithole and it, it, it is there's no doubt about that but there was massively fast growth that occurred after the collapse of the government because the private sector essentially took over everything and they installed cellular networks and they built roads and water infrastructure and everything. 
So Somalia is not an example of of anarchy. It's an example of anocracy. And anocracy oh. is 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 where you've got competing factions trying to take over the government. So there wasn't like there wasn't a you know a a a understanding among the Somali people that there shouldn't be a government and that you know you have this self-organization what you had was you had warlords and people fighting to be the government and replace the government and governments coming in and out uh it gets called it gets called anarchy but it's actually anocracy it's something called anocracy and so uh uh um it's it's it, unfortunately anarchy gets tarred with the brush of somalia even though it was never and anarchy it was never you know uh there was never you know an understanding of the free market an understanding of spontaneous order an understanding of the of the you know kind of the free market principles and you know ideas that would produce what you want without government it was people fighting to be the government the elephant in the room that we haven't touched and i'm going to do exactly that i'm going to touch the elephant in the room and that is if we are talking about anarchy or volunteerism we are talking about no countries uh yeah so in an ideal world you know very much like uh john lennon said you know imagine there, there yeah imagine you know imagine there's no countries And so there's still borders and those borders are private property. And so, you know, it's not that that's, you know, it creates like a free for all, but you know, I, if I don't have the right to stop you, you know, like, like just, you just imagine I see you walking, you know, towards me and I don't like you because of the color of your skin or because whatever. And I take out a gun as a private citizen and I, you know, pointed at you and I say, Hey, you can't walk any further close to me, even though it's a public area or whatever, that wouldn't be, you know, like that would be crazy, but that's what, but governments do is they say, Hey, only we decide who gets to come into our territory very much like bloods and crips and gangs and, and, you know, things like that in the United States. Um, when you should have the ability under natural law, to do anything that you want to do as long as you're not hurting somebody else or trespassing on their own private property. And so I don't think that there should be, you know, any kind of borders. I don't think that there should be, I think you, you would have a world where you could go anywhere you wanted. Years ago, I was going into the United Kingdom and uh, I was in the customs line and I, you know, I, I, I motioned the customs officer over and I said, Hey, I got a question. Like what happens if, Uh, if I show up here and I live on an island in, you know, the, you know, like I just live by myself, you know, my family owns an island and we, we're not part of any kind of government and I don't have a passport and I just want to come to the United Kingdom and I'm not anybody's, you know, tax slave and I, and I, and we, I don't have a passport. He's like, mm, we arrest you. So wow. you right now you can't go anywhere unless you're somebody's tax slave and have somebody's, you know, little tax, you know, booklet on you to prove that, you know, that you're uh, complying and, and being tax farmed by somebody because that's not in their interest. One of the ways they they're controlling, 
you know, societies and, and is through controlling the borders and, and especially controlling what goods get to come into a country versus what other goods get to come into a country. And that's all stifling and that has you know, negative, you know, economic impacts on the, you know, the economy. And so if you got rid of all of that, I think you'd see, I think you would see uh, the economies flourish. I think you would see, you know, economic specialization, you know, occur. I think, you you know, everybody would, there'd be way more wine, cheese and bread for everybody than there is mm. with this, you know, dirty, crooked, organized crime, middleman, you know, stealing, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, a portion of everything that goes across across countries. Uh, when I went to London on that trip, by the way, the the ticket was twelve hundred dollars. The ticket itself was four hundred dollars, and there yes. were eight hundred dollars in taxes, taxes and landing fees. <laughs> and so, I just imagine, you know, how things would how what a different world it would be if you weren't paying eight hundred dollars in taxes, mm. on, you know, uh, for a four hundred dollar you know airline ticket. Yeah, and the other thing that is so ridiculous is, or so obvious, shall I say, is that if taxation was such a wonderful thing, it wouldn't need to be forced. It would just be voluntary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's forced. It has to be because it's theft. There's no, there's no disguising the fact. I mean, you're, 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 the governments are stealing the money. Mm. And when you see when you see a policeman, you know, in his police car, you know, he everything that's on him was stolen from him uh, by, you know, like like he's living off the south, like government officials and, you know, their gunmen are living off money stolen from others at the point of a gun. And I've actually had a I had a conversation, you know, about this, about taxation being theft. I've had it with police officers and teachers and a principal at my, one of my kids' schools. And they've all gone, oh, I know, man, we, we don't like paying taxes either. To which I point out that gov- people that work for the government don't pay taxes at all. And they get all offended and they're like, what do you mean we don't pay taxes? Of course we pay taxes. I pay taxes. I'm a proud taxpayer, da, 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 da. If you think about it, if you really think about it, taxes are the money that is stolen from the productive members of society that earned it and saved it. And then there's a pool of money called the taxes. Okay, that's the taxes. All right. The government teachers and the policemen and the politicians, okay, they then receive the taxes that were stolen from others at the point of a gun. So they're not taxpayers, they're tax receivers. Now, they just receive less taxes. But they're not taxpayers. They're tax receivers that just receive a little less taxes than they think they're owed. Mm. The You're dealing with paradigms here, though. I mean, this is stuff that is incredibly entrenched. Yeah, so it's a multi-trillion dollar control of perception operation where they've got, where the, this organized crime system is controlling the information that people receive 
to make, to paint them a picture that the world is a certain way and it's always been this way and it will always be this way and the elections aren't rigged and it's legitimate that these people in Johannesburg or, uh, is that your capital or is it? Uh, Well, the capital of South Africa is Pretoria. Pretoria, sorry, Pretoria. I keep using, I thought it was Pretoria and I keep using it, but like. And I live in Cape Town, so I'm right at the very bottom. Got it, got it. So whether it's Pretoria, you know, like 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 it's legitimate that these people in Pretoria get to take your money. It's legitimate that you, that you have to do what they say. It's legitimate. It's legitimate until you understand the the scam and that it's the government and the media working together and the tell a vision is giving the world this false reality. And the mandatory government school is is raising kids up in a in a in a religion, a pseudo religion, giving them this ideology. Uh, and so there, there's only a small amount of people that have you know been free thinking and been able to you know kind of break out of that. But now more and more and more people, because of the you know the the uh, the internet and the information revolution and the authentic voices that are you know beginning to get this you know this out and books like government, the biggest scam in history exposed and the most dangerous superstition and others. Now more and more people are realizing how the scam works. And you know, the, the, the trick only works until the crowd understands how the magician does the trick. And then the, the trick doesn't work anymore. Mm. And so that revolution, you know, I mentioned, I think we started to talk about it, but we didn't really finish it up. That revolution is only going in one direction. And so, like, once you realize that it has been a scam and it has been a trick and you don't really owe the government any money and it's not legitimate that they get to boss you around and it's not legitimate that they get to pick winners and losers in the economy and it's not legitimate that they get to force everybody to take a vaccine and it's not legitimate that they get to lock down businesses and it's not legitimate that that anything they're doing is all illegitimate and, in fact, it's organized crime running techniques – and, uh, you know, and, and running, you know, run, you know, essentially imposing government as a technique to rob and control populations on a large scale. Well, once you realize that's going on, you're like, I'm out, I, you know, like I'm out. I'm not going to do And not only that, I'm going to tell my son how, how it works, the way the system works. I'm going to tell my daughter how it works. I'm going to tell my brother how it works. I'm going to tell my uncle how it works. And like, we're not going to go, well, I'm going to start organizing resistance to get to it. And I'm not going to like, you know, I'm going to you know, begin resisting passively and I'm going to start throwing sand into the gears. And, and so it's coming down. I don't know how, when, how quick, but like, it seems to be, you know, like, like, look at what's going on in China right now. Mm. Uh, look at what's going on in Russia right now. Like they're, you know, they're, they're now openly talking about, you know, like the, these governments are in trouble. And it's only going to accelerate as more and more people realize that that government has been the biggest scam in history, the biggest scam in all of history by far. I've got got one or two questions, uh, if you don't mind me reading. Uh, I think it's all sort of related, but he says, yeah, okay, so without the government, who defines natural laws? And then how do you resolve conflict? And then I hear the word rights thrown around a lot. Rights are defined through laws. No. So the word right comes from the natural law tradition. And so the natural law tradition is, uh, is an understanding of the basics of morality that is essentially rooted in the golden rule. 
uh, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And under natural law, there's about five, there's five main transgressions. There's theft, uh, rape, um, trespass, extortion, and I'm forgetting one. Murder is the theft of life. But like uh, those, those are all wrong because there is a victim. Okay. Uh, smoking a plant is not wrong because there's not a victim. Engaged in a poker game is not a wrong because there's not a victim. Okay. And so, so the, so you should have the, the word right comes from the natural law tradition and a right is anything that's not a wrong. And so as long as you're not hurting somebody else, stealing their stuff, uh, defrauding them in some way, you have the right to do anything that you want to do as long as you're not hurting somebody else. Now, that makes sense. That doesn't require, you know, huge law books, okay, you know, to, to understand. You don't have to hire an attorney to understand that. You don't have to be represented, you know what I mean? Like, like that's something that that, mm. that like everybody can get behind, and it's essentially, you know, uh, natural law has got a tradition over over you know multiple civilizations going back thousands of years. It makes sense. It's easy to understand. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. Uh, keep your uh, agreements and your contracts, and that's it. And that's all. Like like a child can understand it, but it produces. It can produce, uh, you know, a, a kind of legal system and a contractual system of, you know, incredible complexity, uh, you know, just based on this this understanding that you're not allowed to harm people, take their stuff, you know, things like that. You haven't mentioned morality, though. Uh, I guess that's a personal thing. Well, no. Like, so it's immoral to uh, it's immoral to hurt people or to take their stuff. And so as long as you're not hurting somebody or taking their stuff, then you're a moral upstanding person. But when you're, when you're, when you are hurting somebody or taking their stuff, then you're not a moral person. And so, uh, the way that you can tell immoral people in society is they're wearing a uniform, living off money stolen from others at the point of the gun, or they're, living in Pretoria or Washington, D.C. or Moscow, and they're, you know, engaged in stealing from others uh, at the point of a gun and stealing their stuff. And so, like, you can tell who's who by are they engaged in government, and if they're engaged in government, if they're working for government, if they're living off money stolen at the point of a gun, if they're enforcing the edicts of the government, if they're using violence on peaceful people, for politicians to either raise revenue on them or to try and, you know, control their behavior, uh, even though the people aren't hurting anybody else, then they're bad people. Mm. I must tell you, Etienne, I've kept you longer than, than I had asked, but it's such a fascinating conversation. Do you know that throughout this entire conversation, I haven't used any of my notes? That's how, <laughs> that's how intriguing <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I, I, I've been uh, enjoying it as well, and uh, it's it's always a pleasure to talk about my favorite topic. Well, I mean, is it not a case of being a consumer of 
intellectualism here? I mean, is this not just academic nonsense? No, because these ideas are being translated into real things. You know, we talked about what's going on, uh, Prospera, the community Prospera on the island of Rotan off the coast of Honduras. So, so these ideas are winning in the marketplace of ideas and they're turning into, you know, real communities where you can, you know, move your business and your, yourself. You know, people are really moving to New Hampshire and they're getting organized and they're rolling back laws and they're producing, you know, more freedom. Uh, than any other state in, you know, essentially in the United States. Uh, they've got the lowest tax rate. They've got one of, the, one of the lowest tax rates. They don't have an income tax. They don't have a state sales tax there. They don't, you know, they're like, it's, 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 it, these ideas uh, are being put into effect in places and they're, they're materially improving the quality of people's lives because people are voting with their feet and going to places where they can be freer and have less government tyranny, less government control, less government regulation, uh, you know, less lockdowns. Like here in the United States, we've had a tremendous amount of people voting with their feet, leaving California and New York and New Jersey during the, during the lockdowns and moving to places like Florida, Texas, New Hampshire, and, uh, uh, Idaho and North Dakota, the, these states have seen huge influxes as people vote with their feet and say, I don't want to live in a state that's going to oppress me and is going to, you know, is going to try and force me to wear a mask or force me to take a shot or do anything like that. I'm leaving. See ya. I'm out of here. And so, you know, as more and more people realize that freedom really does deliver the goods and government has been the biggest scam in history, I think you're going to see a lot more of it. And so I think these ideas are winning in the marketplace of ideas. And I think you're seeing, you know, just the beginnings of free communities uh, begin to spring up, uh, you know, all around, the, all around the world, all around the world. But are we? I mean, do you not think it perhaps will always remain niche because of the, the overarching strength of the state? No, I think that one state, uh, actually, I think it'll be New Hampshire. I think New Hampshire is going to secede and it's going to become a laboratory of liberty. And you're going to see people, I think it's going to be the first kind of major geographical area that actually has a, a, a government that only protects life, liberty, and property, no more redistribution, no more you know laws against smoking plants or anything like that. And I think you're going to see I think you're going to see it boom like like uh, like Hong Kong. I think you're going to see people move there in droves, and I think you're going to see the economy boom, and people are going to go, oh, look at that. And then you're going to see other U.S. states secede. Um, my understanding, I haven't been able to verify it, but Sharon the, in, in Mexico that tossed out the government over a decade ago, uh, when I was in Mexico last year, told, somebody told me there were 40 different other Mexican towns that were that it either done the same thing or were in the process of doing it or whatever. And so it's that one that goes first. And then once one, you know, it's like the four minute mile, you know, once it's proven, oh, you can do that, then I think you're going to see a lot more people do it. And, and I think it's going to, I think it's going to come quick. I know that somebody is going to, uh, throw some counter arguments at the hong kong scenario you know for example uh, i don't think private ownership is a thing in hong kong i think you have what like a 99 year lease or something to that effect so that 
So Hong Kong is not necessarily the bastion of of freedom, but it is a lot more free than most of its competitors, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree with that too. And so um, I think my point was is that one of the things that made Hong Kong Hong Kong was the governor keeping a minimum of economic regulation, a minimum of the welfare, you know, like just as, as minimum as you can get it. And then that lack of, you know, tariffs, taxes, fees, regulations, barriers to starting a business, barriers to, you know, monopoly privileges for favored government businesses. The fact that there wasn't any of that, that allowed the economy to flourish uh, even though they didn't really have anything else, you know, that would, you know, you know, besides a really good port, you know, that would would produce it just just human ingenuity. And uh, and and, you know, essentially it's a bunch of people living on a rock and they just have created so much wealth because they've been free to, because the free market flourished there in a way that it was prohibited from doing in places in in Africa and places in Central America and places in Eastern Europe and, and other places where you where you where you've got way more resources from diamonds to gold to whatever, but you've got more crippling economic regulation, barriers to entry, you know, uh, you know, uh, barriers to movement, capital controls, things like that. Get rid of those, and you'd you'd see Africa like I think take off like a rocket. I mean, I think you'd just like if it wasn't for these kleptocracies on the continent, you'd see it just boom like amazing, amazing growth because you've got all the resources. Yeah, and the other uh, fantastic aspect of removing governments is that you won't have the introduction of digital identities, central banks. Uh, you won't have sort of this, this monopolization of currencies there would be just a hell of a lot more competition. Yeah, so that, that's, that, so when I talk about it being intergenerational organized crime, using the technique of government to rob and control the populations, that organized crime system is, cent is centered on banking and central banking. And so essentially the bankers gave themselves the ability to create money out of thin air and they're using their little paper tickets and digital dollars to buy up the world, buy up these companies. That's what the World Economic Forum is. It's, it's organizing the thousand plus companies that have been monopolized by, you know, fiat paper currency and, and money, you know, stolen from others at the point of a gun. And so that is like, that's the organized crime system that is using government to rob and control the population. So the population is forced to use their money. And that is the, the key, that is the top of the pyramid is the bankers and the central bankers. And that is the, the government forces you to use their money, even though their money is inflationary. And even though they're stealing the value out of the money that you earn and save, you're forced to use it by government fiat, by government decree. Okay, if Etienne, you can give me a closing monologue, what would it be? That we're going to win this thing. <laughs> that there's absolutely no way in the in the information age to hide from the people 
how the scam is being done. And I want to be the guy that does it. And so, you know, what I've tried to do in the book, The Government, The Biggest Scam in History, is make it easy enough and in an easy to read picture book that exposes the, tr you know, how the magician does the trick to where, you know, you can give it to your, your a friend, a family member, a colleague, and they pick it up and they just leaf, leaf through it in there and they're absolutely hooked. And they're, and they're absolutely, you know, they're, they're, they're absolutely hooked and then they get it and then they abandon it and then they go mm -hmm. and, and share it to somebody else. And so I like, hopefully I'm the guy uh, that, you know, that, that, that exposes widely how the scam of government robs and controls this population. I don't have your book yet, so I'm still waiting for it, but I've got, uh, the most dangerous superstition and it's a fantastic read. I know that your book is is a variation of that and i can't wait to get my copy so we actually sell the most dangerous superstition at government-scam.com so the, the website for the book is uh, government-scam.com and that book is the second best-selling book in our bookstore next to mine and that <laughs> book is the book that i gift the most after my own it's a fantastic fantastic book and we got it cheaper than amazon.com at government-scam.com well i was just about to ask you where i can where i can find your work and you've just answered that <laughs> that and artofliberty.org and uh, artofliberty.substack.com is where most of my writings appear and I've got an article right now exposing uh, the scam of the documentary Died Suddenly. And so if any of your uh, audience is, is interested in a fact check and understanding what is true and false about the viral documentary Died Suddenly, you can get that of art, at artofliberty.substack.com. That's going viral uh, right now. We've had over almost uh, 6,000 reads of that article in just a couple of days. So... Uh, artofliberty.org, artofliberty.substack.com, and government-scam.com. I'm going to butcher this, but let me do it. Etienne Delaboiti, thank you for joining me Squared. in the trenches. Squared. Squared. <laughs> Wait, let Yo! me try that again. Let me try that again. All right. Let me do that again. <laughs> Etienne Delaboiti Squared. Thank you for joining me in the trenches. <laughs> it has been a pleasure, and thank you for doing what you do. We're all going to win this thing together. It's, uh, it's the Liberty Movement. Peace out. My name is Jim. This is Jim Wolfe, the Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.